morning, and I'd like to welcome all of you and those listening on radio to our worship service this morning at First Church. Uh, several announcements before we get started this morning. You just heard the performance of Mr. Dylan Robbins, who is back with us again today as our guest pianist, so we thank you for helping us out, Dylan. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Lee and Diane Cat Henrik's 54th wedding anniversary which they will be observing on Thursday, March 1st. So congratulations to both of you. As most of you know, Wonderful Wednesday started this past week, and we had a wonderful turnout. We had roughly 67 kids that came over from school and joined us, and we served probably well over 120 for the evening meal that night. We want to thank Lori and Greg Kramer for preparing that meal. And also this week, we anticipate we're going to thank Judy and Dave Bumbar for preparing this next meal. So anyway, there is one thing I want to make notice to you, and the time change has been reported in your bulletin and been announced several times as being 5.30 for the evening meal. That time, time for the evening meal is now 5.45 from here on out for every other wonderful Wednesdays. So if you get the chance, please come and join us that evening for an evening meal at 5.45. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, would you join me in our call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 66, verses 8 through 20. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives for you, God, and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on your back. You let people right over your head. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to the place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you. And an offering of rams, I will offer offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you do for God. Let me tell you what He has done for me. I cried out to Him from my mouth. His praise is on my tongue. If I had cherished in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer. Before we move on to our next item, I have to apologize. I forgot one announcement this morning. Uh, most of you know Larry Jowart, first cousin of Jay Elsoff and a confirmand of the church and a graduate of our high school, has passed away at age 75. There are no other announcements at this time. So now to move on with our service, would you please stand and join in the singing of hymn number 66? To God be the glory.
as the children come forward for the children's chat this morning, please take a moment and greet one another. And being that this is the flu season, you can, you're allowed to use fist bumps or just wave or whatever you'd like to avoid contact. Woo! He's going to get away from me, isn't he? Huh? Got it down. We've got fun stuff up here this morning. I do not do this at home, or I am going to get in trouble. Um, has anybody ever told you that you have a bad attitude? No. Yes. What is an attitude? What's an attitude? Do you know? It's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? Grumpy. Grumpy. We're not happy with what's going on. Now, you talked, we talked about Jonah a little bit last week. Pastor Joel did. What did Jonah do? Did he go in the wrong direction when God wanted him to go to Nineveh? God said, go to Nineveh. And where did Jonah go? That away. He went that away. Was that the right thing to do when God asked him to do something? No, it wasn't. He had a bad attitude. He didn't want to listen to God. He didn't want to obey God. And first of all, she's fine. She's helping me. (laughs) She's helping. (laughs) Didn't want to obey God. Didn't want to do anything God told him to do. And besides that, the people in Nineveh, were just not very nice people. They were mean, and they were scary, and why should God forgive them? He was just kind of mad, so he ran away. Well, you know what? God put him in three days of time out. Where was his time out at? What happened to Jonah? In a whale. That's a long time out, isn't it? Have you guys ever sat in time out? Time out? Ah, well, we have a pastor over here for confessional, okay? So, time out three whole days. Well, what did Jonah do then? Jonah says that he was sorry, he should obey God, and he went where he was supposed to go and preach to the people in Nineveh. Well, you know what? Even though he preached at Nineveh, he was still grumpy. He had a bad attitude. He didn't think those people in Nineveh needed to be forgiven. He didn't think that was fair. You think it was fair? No. Yes, it was. It was fair. That's what's so wonderful about God. Is that he lets once we he preached to those people and they became nice people and they started following God and stuff. And I have to sit back because I'm going to light the candle. So when Jonah was grumpy and everything, there was no joy in his attitude. He was just grumpy, grumpy as could be. Well, when when you get grumpy, what happens? Is everybody else grumpy? Huh? It's kind of like if mom's happy, everybody's happy. Okay, needs the back. So here he is. And this candle is all the bad things that might happen in life or hard decisions you have to go. Here's bad attitude. And bad attitude is going into his next chore. And what's going to happen? Hmm? It worked at home. Back up, sweetie. Well, look at that, will you? There it went. But it wasn't supposed to blow the candles out. What happened? What happened? It popped. 
So if he went in a bad situation, he had no joy. You have to back up. Back up. And so we need joy. And joy is happiness. You're going to hear about, boy, you guys are getting way close. And you're going to hear about joy at Wonderful Wednesdays, too, because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I have a balloon here. What's in there? Water. If we fill our attitudes and our lives with God's joy, it's like the water in this balloon. So we run into the really hard things or problems. We're going to go over here. It's not going to pop. It's going to help us. It's going to help us get through all of our problems. And that's we're going to find more out about Jonah because he took a long time for him to put joy in his attitude. You know, we might not feel happy with what's going on around us, but does that mean that um, we shouldn't have joy? I mean, we're not going to be happy all the time, are we? We're just going to be taking the joy in our attitude, and God will help us get through those times. His strength will help us. And then when we have bad things to go around, are we going to pop with anger? No. We're going to be happy with God's joy because he's going to help us. He's going to help us be joyful. Okay? Joy in our attitude. So hopefully you go home this next week and no one says, you better change that attitude, mister or missy. Let's look to God for joy. And it might be things you don't like to do, but that joy will help us through those situations. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for the joy. You have so much joy to give each one of us. You have joy that never runs out. Help us to have joy in our attitudes and to remember you are with us no matter what we go through. Help us not only experience your joy, but to pass it on to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in the last week in Baghdad, Sergeant Christina Marie Schoenecker, 25, from Arlington, Virginia. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I do want to make uh, just one more note of announcement that's in your bulletin, and I, I just don't think it made it onto Jack's cheat sheet for the announcements this morning. We do want to extend our love and sympathy to the family of Annabelle Cook, who did enter into Christ's love on Saturday, February 17th, 2018. Um, she was 94 and a member of our church. Um, there are no arrangement details at this time, but um, those will be passed along when we are aware of them. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as well. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, we do uh, mourn with those who mourn. And so we lift up the families of those who lost loved ones recently. And we pray that your comfort, your strength, and your peace would be with them. We also, Lord, know that you are a God who is, who is compassionate, who is gracious to those who are in pain and those who are, who are mourning. And so we pray your spirit would be with them and be with all those, Lord, who are grieving for, for one reason or, or another this morning. Lord, we, we come to you with the full knowledge that you are, are, are a caring and loving God. And so we trust that, that what your will is, is what's best for us. And so, Lord, we ask that your will be done in our situation, in each of the situations, Lord, that are represented by the names on our cares and concerns list. Uh, Lord, you know exactly the details of what's going on. You know what you're aware, Lord, of, of what's best in those situations. And so, Lord, we ask not our will to be done, but your will to be done uh, for each one of those names represented. Uh, Lord, we pray also for our church and our community. We pray that, that your kingdom would come here in this place. We pray that uh, your word would be proclaimed um, and that, that the gospel would have an impact, Lord, in our own lives and, and as well as the community and those who are listening on the radio as well. Uh, Lord, um, and we pray that the gospel would have such an effect on us that we are able to go forth and share your love and your grace and your mercy with everyone we encounter. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time, as, as our choir blesses us with another song, He Will Hold Me Fast.
Good morning. For those able, please remain standing. Uh, scripture today comes from Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that, he will not, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Let us worship the Lord by singing hymn number 374, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Father, I thank you for this time we have this morning to gather and worship you. And, and as we've been singing your praises and, and hearing your word, Lord, um, and praying together, uh, we now to open your word together and, and study it. So we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray you'd open my mouth to speak the words that you have for us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. One of Allie and I's favorite TV shows for quite a while was a show called Deadliest Catch. I don't know if any of you ever seen this. I don't believe it's on air anymore, but it was a, it's kind of a documentary about um, Alaskan crab fishermen who are out on the Bering Sea and, and, and trying to make a living and trying to you know, make these amazing um, 
uh, trying to make, make these catches during the crab season, during this amazing, just terrible weather. Uh, some of the episodes were just, they were like stressful just watching it, seeing the waves crashing over the side of the boat and the, the wind and the cold rain and the danger that these people faced um, just to um, let us have crab legs at Red Lobster every once in a while, I guess. But, but the, the danger there, you know, as, as I read the story of Jonah and as I, as, I, as I hear the words that Jake just read about this scene, um, that's, the, that's the picture I get in my mind. That's the image I get of, of these waves just crashing over the side of the boat and the wind just howling and the rain coming down. Um, this isn't exactly a, a nice cruise that Jonah finds himself on. Instead, he finds himself in the middle of a storm, very much like the people on that television show would experience um, as they were trying to, to perform their job. And so we find out, we, we pick up the story here of, of this, this storm that has overtaken the boat that Jonah and these other sailors are on. If you remember, Jonah has, is on a mission to try to run from the Lord. And, and honestly, it's a mission that's doomed for failure. You see, you can run, but you can't hide from God. He'll get your attention one way or another. Remember, Jonah is on his way to Tarshish in order to flee from the Lord. He's, he's trying to flee from God's presence in order to, to avoid the responsibility and the call that God has placed on his life. God asked him to go to Nineveh and to preach against that city, but instead he fled in the opposite direction to Tarshish. And so we, I, I believe Jonah here is trying to outrun his responsibility like we talked about last week, but we're going to see here in this passage that he's unable to outrun God himself. See, there's no distance he can travel, no time that he can waste that will hide him from the presence of the Lord. Because God, He's everywhere, right? We read that in our call to worship last week. I just want to remind us of a few of those verses from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, Jonah is experiencing what the psalmist knew, that there's nowhere you can go, there's nowhere we can hide in order to avoid God's presence. See, he's always able to reach out to us. He's always able to get our attention no matter, what, no matter where we go. Jeremiah 23-24 puts it another way. This is God speaking through the prophet. And he says, Am I only a God who is nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Where can we go from His presence? Right? There's nowhere we can run in order to avoid God and, and the call that He's placed on our lives. And Jonah is, is here experiencing that firsthand. But he's not the only one in Scripture who has, tried to flee, who has tried to flee from God in order to avoid His presence or avoid responsibility. See, the story of Moses is, starts off with him fleeing and, and running off into the wilderness after murdering an Egyptian defending one of his fellow Hebrews, but, but he murdered someone and so he fled into the wilderness and lived there for years as a shepherd to try to avoid Pharaoh and I believe trying to avoid the responsibility that God had for him. You see, that is until God spoke to him through a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The prophet Elijah ran, from his, ran for his life from Queen Jezebel and God eventually met him at the entrance of a cave in a very still, small voice. God was there and met Elijah while he was on the run as well. You see, even Jesus' own disciples were scattered after Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. They scattered like sheep. and there were, Even Peter, the great apostle, right, denied Jesus three times in one night. And the other disciples were nowhere to be found. And some of them even had a hard time believing the reports of Jesus' resurrection after the fact. But yet Jesus still met each one of them. He still called them back and restored them to a relationship with Him. And here too, God is trying to get Jonah's attention, I believe. Just as in those cases that, that God was able to meet the people who were on the run, God here through the storm is trying to get Jonah's attention. He's reaching out in order to, to 
bring Jonah back to him. You see, instead of smooth sailing to Tarshish, God sends this fierce storm to disrupt Jonah's journey and bring him back onto the correct path. I believe that, and I don't believe that the storm here is, is, is a form of punishment. I don't think that's the case here at all. I think we may read the story and think, okay, Jonah's done something wrong. Now God is punishing him for it. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think what God is trying to do here is get Jonah to, to turn his ways and turn back to him. It's a form of correction. It's a form of discipline, not a form of punishment. And I believe God often uses circumstances in our own lives, the storms that we go through, in order to get our attention too. Now, that doesn't mean that every hardship or every bad day is imbued with some sort of theological significance. Right? God doesn't send every storm in our lives for that reason. Sometimes a bad hair day is just a bad hair day. Right? Sometimes, uh, sometimes you go through hardships because of the, of the reality of sin and the consequences of sin in this world. And there's nothing more significant to it than that. But there are times, I believe, when God uses our circumstances and uses the trials that we go through in order to draw us back to Him. There may be times and situations where God uses those things as signposts, as as guideposts in order to, to correct our paths and correct the direction that we're going on. I couldn't tell you how many conversations I've had with people or how many testimonies that I've heard that, that have the gener- same general pattern. I was going through this time in my life and everything seemed to be falling apart. But it's in those moments that God drew me back to Himself. God used the circumstances I found myself in in order to reach me, in order to call out to me, in order to draw me back to Him. You hear those kind of testimonies over and over again. And I believe that's what this storm that Jonah and these sailors are experiencing is supposed to do for him. He made a wrong turn back in Joppa. right? He made a wrong turn and headed to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. So God is trying to correct his course and bring him back onto the right path. The problem, however, if we were to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, is that we don't always pick up on the signs because we're not in tune with God's Spirit. God may be trying to draw us back onto the right path. God may be sending signs our way to try to correct our course, and yet we're completely missing it because we're not in tune with God's Spirit. Like Jonah, we instead we find ourselves asleep below deck, ignoring the situation completely. I really enjoyed the movie Bruce Almighty when I was younger. Um, it's starring Jim Carrey, and it's the story of this man with this interaction with God. His life is falling apart. And so, so he calls out to God, and, and eventually God meets him and says, all right, if you think you can do my job better, you have, my, you have my godlike powers for the day, right? And the whole movie plays out with that, within that context. But at the beginning of the movie, as, as Bruce's life is crumbling around him, he's just driving down the road, and he's just so angry, he's just crying out to God that he doesn't even really believe in. And he says, God, why are you doing this to me? What is happening here? If... If you're real, if you're out there, just send me a sign. Tell me what is going on here. And as he's driving down the road in the pouring rain at night, all of a sudden this road construction truck pulls out in front of him and hanging out of the back of the signs, uh, hanging out of the back of the truck are a ton of road signs as they stop, turn around, wrong way. And all of a sudden he just looks at it and he goes, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And he just swerves around and goes around the truck, completely ignoring the obvious signs that were in front of him. I think we do the same thing with God. He sends us obvious signs. He speaks to us in different ways. And we just miss it completely. We ignore the signs that He sends, much like Jonah is ignoring this storm here. God does try to speak to us. God does try to get our, get our attention. And yet we ignore it. So the question may be, how does God speak to us today? What are the signs that God gives us in order to... to try to get our attention. I don't think he necessarily does it through storms so much, but he does it in other more subtle ways, such as through good, trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're family or close friends or members of our own church that can speak into our lives and help us to, to see maybe the, the path we're on is, in a, is, is the wrong direction and help to bring us back on the right path. That's called accountability, right? Being accountable to one another. 
Sometimes it's through prayer, spending time speaking with God. He's able to, to nudge us in the right direction and, and, and make something clear to us that wasn't there before. Through spiritual disciplines like reading our Bibles or journaling or doing things like that are ways that God speaks to us. The primary way God, I believe, speaks to us today is through His Word. Studying it and reading it and allowing God's Spirit to, to make it real for us. And sometimes it's just simply through the nudge of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice like Elijah heard, speaking to us. That inkling we get in the back of our minds that, is this, is this God, you know, nudging me in the right direction? I believe that's the way that God speaks to us as well. And also, through, thing, through providence. Some of you may call that coincidence. Right? Where, where events just seem to line up and things just seem to happen and it just, just makes sense that God is, is calling us to go in a certain direction. God can use any and all of these or other means to speak to us today and give us signs. And the, more, the, the reality is, though, the more we resist, the, the easier it is for us to, to, to continue in that direction. The harder it is for us to hear His voice. But the more that we listen, the more in tune we are with the Spirit, the easier it is to hear His voice. The easier it is to go in that direction. See, we need to remember that, that a journey in the wrong direction begins with one little step. It's not like someone wakes up, I hope, in the morning and says, you know what, I'm done with this God stuff. Right? I don't want to serve Him anymore. I don't want to have a relationship with anymore. I'm just going to be done with it. Yesterday I was cool with it, but today I'm just done. Nobody just wakes up one morning and decides that. For the most part, it's always, it all starts with little steps in that direction. Ignoring God's voice. Ignoring the signs that He sends. Neglecting our, our spiritual disciplines like praying and reading the Bible and spending time with other Christians. And eventually, over time, those things add up and add up and add up. And we realize we find ourselves very much off course. Now, I know that visual aids don't go over so well on uh, the radio, so I apologize to our radio listeners today, but I like to golf. I pretend that I'm good, like most people. Um, I would like to say I get my money's worth because I hit the ball twice as much as anybody else out on the course. But the thing I have learned about golf, though, is if you're driving, the smallest little error on your tee shot may not seem very significant here, but 200 yards down the fairway, it makes a huge difference. Right, so if your stance isn't quite right, if you open up the club face a little bit more, don't worry, I'm not going to swing real, for real. I Don't worry, I'm just, just pretending here. Um, you know, if your club face is open a little bit, just, just by the fraction of a degree, if your shoulders aren't quite square, if your stance is off, all those little things may not seem very significant, and most of the time you don't even notice it. But if those things are off and you go to drive the ball down the fairway, you're going to find yourself knee-deep in the rough looking for your ball in the woods. Or if you're Jonah, find yourself on a ship to Tarshish in the middle of a storm. See, it's those little things, it's those little steps in that direction that we often don't even realize that, 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 that makes us end up way off course. But God's not done with us. Right? God calls out to us. He, he tries to draw us back to Him in whatever circumstance we find ourselves and so the call here then is to, if God is trying to get Jonah's attention, if he's trying to draw, us, draw him back to, to, to his will and his calling, and he does the same for us, we need to, to see what that looks like. And that means moving from the fear of our circumstances to a fear of the Lord. See, there's two different groups that are represented here in the midst of the storm. There's Jonah, the prophet of God, but then there's also these sailors and they navigate this storm, they navigate this difficulty in two very different ways. I've already talked about Jonah's approach. He took a nap, right? He, he finds himself in the below deck ignoring the situation. And, and, and older translation of, of the Bible uh, called the Septuagint, one, an, an ancient Greek translation from even before the time of Jesus, uh, makes reference to the fact that, that Jonah was probably even snoring. He was, he was sleeping so hard below deck. There's just this image of, of someone just completely oblivious to their surrounding circumstances. And it may remind us of a different story, of a different storm and a different boat. In the New Testament, there's the story of Jesus and his disciples out on the lake who find themselves in the midst of a storm in Matthew chapter 8. 
uh, verses 23 through 27. It says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, got into his boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Doesn't it sound a little familiar to Jonah's story here? And so Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, it may sound like Jonah's just resting and <laughs> resting like Jesus, but I think these are two very different situations here. See, the difference is that Jesus was able to rest because he was confident in God's plan and he was living in perfect submission to the Father. He was very much in the center of God's will in the midst of that storm. Jonah, on the other hand, was more akin to someone who was, who was plugging their ears and closing their eyes and saying, this isn't happening. Right? Just ignoring the situation completely, pretending like it didn't even exist. Jesus was able to rest because of his confidence in the Lord. Jonah was able to rest because he was ignoring the Lord. But the sailors paint a very different, story, very different picture for us. They start off very afraid of the storm. And, and that just shows you just how powerful the storm must have been. You know, I think again of that, that Deadliest Catch show and how calm these sailors were out in the midst of this, these terrible storms and these terrible weather conditions. If these seasoned sailors were afraid and were starting to, to panic, I can't imagine just how severe the storm must have been. So they begin to call out to their own gods and they even cast lots in order to try to determine the guilty party. And although they're unaware of the one true God that Jonah serves, they're still seeking answers. Right? They're calling out to their own gods in a way that Jonah doesn't even do for his one true God. And so once these sailors determine that Jonah is the one who brought the disaster upon the ship, they begin to pelter him with questions. Right? They begin to, 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 to go through the litany and, the, and try to figure out what Jonah's story is. And that brings us to the very center of the story, verses 9 and 10, this confession of Jonah. He answered them, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because they had already he had already told them so. Think for a second about Jonah's response here. He says, I'm running away from the Lord, the one who made the sea and the heavens. There's just this disconnect there between what Jonah knows in his head and what his actions represent. He claims to serve the Lord. He claims to know Him. claims to serve this almighty Creator of the heavens and the earth. And yet here he is on a ship trying to avoid Him. Just a huge disconnect between, between Jonah's belief and Jonah's actions. And we struggle with that too, don't we? We claim to know God. We claim to love Him and serve Him. And yet we find our actions sometimes... Uh, painting a different picture as well. But unlike, but in, while we may be like Jonah in that, in that sense, that is not God's desire for us. Instead, He desires that we, we worship and serve Him and that, that what we believe about God influences and impacts the actions and how we live our lives. So the sailors, having heard Jonah's confession, are even more terrified. And at this point, Jonah tells them what they must do. Jonah tells them that, that in order to save themselves, in order for the sea to be calm, they must toss him overboard. And they must be a little unsure about this plan because it says they tried even harder to row to shore, but it was to no avail. The, the storms and the wind was just, was just too much for the ship to handle. And so with no other choice, they cast Jonah overboard and the storm immediately stops. And it's at this point that an interesting turn takes place. The sailors who had started off as fearing their circumstances, the sailors who had started off crying out to their own gods, cried out to Jonah's God instead. They cried out to the Lord. It says they made vows to Him and sacrifices to Him. What a change that it took place there from the beginning of this story to the end. 
they shift from focusing on their circumstances and, the, and being afraid of what might happen to fearing the Lord instead. And so, as the Lord tries to get our attention, we must shift our focus from our circumstances to Him. See, life can be very overwhelming at times. We may find ourselves in the midst of a storm. And we can be so focused on our circumstances, like the sailors in the midst of the storm, that we lose sight of the one who is ultimately in control. Even in the midst of the storms of this life, we have no reason to fear the wind or the rain or the waves because we fear the Lord instead. Now, when I talk about fearing the Lord, I'm not talking about being afraid of Him in the sense that we often think of being afraid. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it it refers to the, the awe and the respect and the reverence that we should have toward Him. Psalm 33, 8. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. And in 1 John 4.18, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, the kind of fear we should have towards God is that respect, that awe, that reverence which plays out in a life of obedience toward Him. See, to fear God is to not allow that disconnect that we see in Jonah to play itself out in our own lives. Where Jonah finds himself in the midst of a storm heading in the complete opposite direction of God's will and he stands there claiming to know the one true God. Instead, our belief needs to line up with our actions. And we need to know and and experience God's love and His mercy and His grace and strive to be as to be obedient to Him through the help of the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what it means to fear the Lord and not the circumstances. And finally, we see that God is sovereign even in our disobedience. And I don't want you to miss this because this is something we may easily gloss over. Even in Jonah's disobedience, even in his flight from the Lord, God's sovereign will is still accomplished. See, the goal of a prophet in a very basic sense, was to preach the judgment of God towards sin and to preach the hope of redemption through God's grace. And even in Jonah's disobedience, even fleeing to Tarshish, the pagan sailors experience the fear of the Lord. They pray to Him and they make sacrifices and vows to Him. You know, there's no telling what comes of this. We don't get a report on what kind of lives the sailors lived after this encounter with Jonah. But we do see that through these circumstances, even through Jonah's disobedience, God's will is accomplished by making Himself known to these people. You see, Jonah's mission in the first place was to go and preach to pagans, right? The people of Nineveh. And yet he found himself on a boat heading to Tarshish. And there were pagan sailors who who began to fear the Lord as a result of it. That's God working God's sovereignty, even in the midst of our disobedience. My favorite biblical example of this principle is Joseph and his brothers, all the way back at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph was beaten, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused and imprisoned and forgotten. All that, he went through all of that so that one day he could be in a position in order to save his family and all of Egypt from famine. And when he's once again face-to-face with his brothers who had thought him dead, who had left him for dead, he was able to say this. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God is able to work even in the most difficult circumstances. God is able to bring about good even in the most dark moments of our lives. So don't waste your mistakes. See, God is big enough and full of enough grace and mercy to work through whatever mess we find ourselves in. So don't let those situations go to waste. I was told once that our greatest weakness will become our greatest ministry. That doesn't give us free reign to disobey the Lord, right? Doesn't mean that that doesn't matter what we do, that we can just do whatever we want and God will still work. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it 
any longer. So God still desires obedience. He still desires faithfulness. But even when we fall short, like we always will, God can still work in and through those moments. Know that God is sovereign. He is able to work in any situation for our good and for His glory. Just a couple chapters later in Romans 8.28, Paul writes, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Now, we may not see the good in it. We may not know what that good is in the moment. But we trust that God is able to work out the good. And it's going to be for His glory and for our good, even if we don't see it in the moment. And the story of Jonah points us ultimately to Jesus, who is, who is not just a better version of Jonah. He is the one that Jonah could never be. See, Jonah willingly sacrificed himself for these sailors, but Jesus is the one who willingly sacrificed himself for our sins. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father, unlike Jonah. He saved, that, he saved them and He saved us from our sin and spiritual death, while Jonah's leap into the sea only saved them from physical harm. See, in Jesus, God was working to reverse our disobedience, not Jesus's. But like Jonah, Jesus spent three days in the grave and then rose again in victory. And so while Jonah is not a perfect example to follow, maybe not even the best example to follow, he does point us to the one who is, and that is Christ, the one who, who willingly gave up his life for us. That even though we run to our own Tarshish all the time, even though we are disobedient and we are unfaithful, he is always faithful. And that is the message of Lent, right? That is the, the message of the cross, is that in our unfaithfulness, in our Jonah moments, God is still faithful. And He sent His Son in order to redeem us and to bring us back into His will. The greatest sign of all to bring us back to Him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that You draw us back to Yourself. That even in our Jonah moments, that You are faithful. That we cannot riot, run or hide from You. But that You work all things, Lord, so that, that You can draw us back to Yourself. Lord, I pray that we would be aware of those signs. That we would be in tune with Your Spirit so that we may return to you whenever we go astray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's sing our final song, number 171, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.